All right. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms here. Um, thank you for your tireless and often unappreciated uh, effort in loving, um, and we're so grateful for you. So a few years ago, uh, this June, actually, Raylene and I celebrate our 25th anniversary by taking a, a trip to Cancun um, and one of those all-inclusive, you know, beach resort type things, and we had a blast. I mean, it was so, it was just so relaxing and fun. I mean, there's nothing quite like laying on the beach and looking at the ocean and having a pina colada brought to you uh, by someone else so you don't have to move any muscle in your body. I mean, that is just hard to beat, right? Um, so um, one, one thing, though, I found fascinating. At the end of every day, you know, we would be on the beach there, right? And then we would kind of make our way back to, uh, to our room, and uh, we'd walk by the swimming pool. And I was just always amazed that there would be tons of people sitting at the swimming pool. And I thought, you know, you can swim at your apartment complex, you know, in the swimming pool of your apartment complex or in your neighborhood or your backyard or whatever. But why would you travel to Cancun and every day choose to sit at a swimming pool when the white sanded beach and the expansive ocean is just literally 50 yards away? Um, and that experience that came to my mind um, this past week as I was thinking about the Bible passage that we're gonna be looking at today, in the book of Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul gives us what is without question the most powerful and vivid description of the love of God. It describes God's love as an ocean-like experience that is so vast, it is beyond our comprehension. And yet the reality is many of us, many of us have sort of settled into a swimming pool experience of God's love. Rather than, than basking in the ocean-like experience of God's love that is available to us. And so this passage is going to show us how to get on the beach, okay? It's going to show us how to get there, all right? So this incredible description of God's love is contained within a larger prayer of Paul's that he is praying for his friends at this church in Ephesus. And we looked at the first part of this prayer last week. Today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Now this is such an amazing passage that I really like for us to read this out loud together, all right? So read this with me. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is God's word. Now, we literally, we could spend weeks in this passage. I mean, in fact, I would encourage you to see these verses as an ocean to swim in, and today is just the first day of a long vacation at the beach. Uh, so I encourage you, spend more time in this passage. We're just going to whet your appetite. Spend more time in this passage in the days and weeks to come, because what it is describing is absolutely life-changing, and yet it is not something that we ever master. We've never arrived. It's not something we master. It is a beautiful journey into the heart of God. 
Okay, now before we get into the specifics of the description of God's love that is given to us, I want to hone in on a, a critically important foundational truth that Paul articulates in the last phrase that we just read. Verse 19, Paul says that you may, he prays all this, and then that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Notice, notice the end result of someone who experiences the fullness of God's love. Paul says that they are filled with the fullness of God. Now think about what that is saying. What it is saying is this, love, love is the defining characteristic of what God is like. That's what Paul is saying here. The more you experience God's love, the more you experience the fullness of God himself. John says it this way in 1 John 4, 8, God is Love. He doesn't say God is loving. I mean, that's certainly true, but that's not what John or Paul are saying here. They are not saying that God sometimes acts in loving ways. No, no, no. They are saying that the essence of God's character is love. Everything he does is motivated by love, always and forever. I mean, so let me just ask, when, when you think of God, when you think of the defining characteristic of who God is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? That's a really important question to ask. When you think about God, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Really important question to ask. And I'm guessing that for a lot of us here, love is not the first thing that comes to our minds. Love is not the first thing that comes to our mind and heart. For years, I had an image of God that was that was loving as long as I did what I was supposed to do, sort of like a teacher's pet view of God. Uh, um, so God loved me as long as I obeyed all the classroom rules. But if I stepped out of line, that love got replaced with sternness and judgment, with a scowl of disappointment. That's, that's kind of how I viewed God. He, he was loving, but if I messed up, he stopped being loving and became this stern judge. But the longer that I walk with Christ, the more I realize that that view doesn't really fit with a God who is love, with a God who never stops loving. Now, for me, the issue got more complicated because of all the passages, especially in the Old Testament, where God's judgment is emphasized. And in those passages, some of those passages, he doesn't seem very loving at all. In fact, he just seems angry. And then if you throw into that mix the whole idea of hell, things get even more complicated. I mean, we all talk about how God loves every person. But what if a person dies without Christ? Does God stop loving them? In other words, does God love people in hell? See, I don't think I'm the only person who wrestles with these questions, okay? I'm not the only one who wrestles with these kinds of questions because I often feel like, honestly, I often feel like any discussion of God's love, we talk, oh yeah, God loves everyone, but, you know, but then we have this little asterisk by it. A little asterisk by the topic. God is love. Oh yeah, God is love. Yeah, amen, God is love. But there are limits to his love. So I was reading a book by a well-known pastor written uh, about God's love, actually, um, who basically said, just read this book last week, who basically said that God doesn't love everyone the same. So he loves the elect 
in a different way than he loves the non-elect. Sort of like I would love my wife differently than I would love a neighbor. And I was, as I was reading that, I thought, is that true? Is God's love for some people neighborly and for other people passionate? See, personally and biblically, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. The Bible says God is love, which means that his judgment and his holiness have to fit into this loving essence of who God is. And I believe they do. I believe they do. Paul says in verse 18 of the passage we just read, he says, this love that surpasses knowledge is the love of Christ. It's really important. The love of Christ. The clearest, most accurate picture of God's love is found in Jesus. We, we are told in various places in the New Testament that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus shows us what the Father is like. So if we want to know what God's love is like, if we, we want to know what it looks like, we need to look at Jesus. And the most powerful demonstration of love in the life of Jesus occurred at the cross where Jesus, who is sinless, voluntarily took upon himself God's holy judgment upon our sin, paying the ultimate price. See, the cross, the cross shows us that God's holiness and judgment are not incompatible with his love. No, his love was able to meet the requirements of his justice. So Jesus is the fullest expression of God's love. Now, in light of that, I've been thinking about some of Jesus' interactions with people when he was being crucified. Remember what he prayed while the soldiers were nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's what pure love looks like. Even to his enemies, he is offering forgiveness. And then, of course, there was the criminal who was crucified along with Jesus, and he asked of Jesus, hey, would you remember me when you get into paradise? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. <clears throat> but there was another criminal crucified on the other side of Jesus, who was mocking Jesus and hurling insults at him. Remember that guy? Do, do you happen to remember what Jesus said to him in response to his mocking and his insults? Nothing. Nothing. Did Jesus love any of those three people differently? No. I think Jesus' heart was breaking over the fact that this criminal was rejecting who Jesus was and in doing so was missing out on where life is found. See, even while dying on the cross, Jesus is exuding love for every person. Again, the cross helps us see God's love in action. And I believe that the cross is the lens through which we must view all these other things that seem to be irreconcilable with God's love. You know, Old Testament passages, Old Testament. We, we got to view them through the cross because the cross shows us what God's love is like. And so we view them through the cross. And I think all these issues, including hell, I mean, clearly, the Bible describes hell as being a real place. 
Clearly, the Bible, Jesus talks about it all the time. It's a real place. But, but I don't think God sends people to hell. I think people freely choose to go there. See, they don't want to experience God's love because God's love is a purifying love. It's a holy love. It's a consuming fire of love. And they don't want anything to do with that kind of love because you have to surrender to it. And when you surrender to it, it transforms you. A lot of people don't want to surrender to that kind of love. There are times when um, my son Joshua, who has special needs, he's 18 years old now, um, there are times when he gets, a lot of times actually, uh, he gets into this kind of rebellious rage, really, where we're wanting him to do something, take a bath or whatever, and he just gets into this rebellious rage. And when Raylene and I move toward him in love, we move toward him gently and with love, he will try to kick and he'll try to push us away and kick us. See, our love for him doesn't change. Our love for him doesn't change. But in that moment, he is freely choosing his own rebellion over our love. See, I concur with guys like C.S. Lewis and Pastor Tim Keller and, and one of my seminary professors, a renowned theologian named D.A. Carson. I, I, I concur with these guys who suggest that hell is actually locked from the inside. See, the people in hell are freely choosing to be there. Their minds and their hearts are so hardened by self-absorption that the thought of God's love is not appealing to them in the least. But see, God doesn't stop loving them. He doesn't stop loving them. They just don't want his love. See, when I look through the lens of the cross, I begin to see how God's love is absolutely at the essence of who God is. No asterisk here, right? It is absolutely essence of who God is. It is a love that includes his justice and his holiness. Now, I still have tons of questions, <clears throat> but I feel like I no longer have this asterisk beside God's love. Oh yeah, he's loving, but no, 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 no. He is love. He never stops loving. The cross shows us his heart. The cross shows us how his holiness and his love actually coexist. They coexist. Okay, so now that we've laid that critically important foundation, I want to dive now into more details about the nature of this love. Verse 17 I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, there are two experiences of God's love that Paul is describing here. The first is what every Christ follower already has. Paul says here, being rooted and established in love. This is something that is already true of us. If you have placed your trust in Christ, this is absolutely true of you. You are rooted in his love. You are established in his love. This is what Paul has been articulating for the first two chapters of Ephesians. When you become a Christian, it's like God, God uproots you from the satanic worldly soil that you were planted in, and you get replanted in the soil of Jesus. 
So you are now a beloved son or daughter of God. This is who you are. It is a done deal. It is established because of what happens at salvation, the moment we place our trust in Christ. Okay, so that is one aspect of experiencing the love of Christ. It's a reality that we are rooted in the moment we become a Christ follower. We're rooted and established in love. But that is not what Paul is praying for here. He is not praying for us to simply be rooted and established in God's love. No, he is praying that we who are already rooted in Christ's love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, this is from swimming pool to ocean. Paul is saying it's great that you've experienced Christ's love in salvation, but there is so much more of Christ's love to experience. Okay, so in this prayer, we see three specific realities that Paul is praying that we experience as it relates to God's love. Each one of these is is a practical gateway into the ocean of God's love for each one of us here. Each one is a practical gateway into the ocean of God's love. First, God longs for us to comprehend the expanse of his love for us. He longs for us to comprehend the expanse of his love for us. I pray that you may have power to grasp, to comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. See, Paul is praying that we might be able to comprehend the scope, the measurement of God's love because God's love, as he says here, is multidimensional. So the first word, he says it's wide. The word wide speaks of the breadth, the expanse of God's love. You you can never travel beyond his love love no matter how far you wander off the path because it's wide. He may discipline you as a loving father or you, you may experience con- or we may experience unpleasant consequences of choices that we've made, but his love for us will always surround us. I remember a friend of mine sharing with me his story. And he was a pastor's kid. I um, mean, a pastor's kid, but when he was growing up, grew up in a pastor's home and, and received Christ at a very young age, you know, and knew all the Bible verses and all that. And, 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 but when he got into college, he kind of drifted away from that. He got into, you know, partying and was, joined a band and, and was doing drugs and all that stuff. And, and he, he knew he was running from God, but he didn't really care. And, and I remember him telling me about one night after a gig, they'd had this late night gig his band had, and, and he was in this kind of, you know, late night partying, sort of whatever. He was in the residual effects of all of that. And he was sitting in this recliner in his apartment early in the morning. And he said he he literally sensed the love of God surrounding him and wooing him. It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't anger. It was absolute love. Romans 2, 4 says that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And that's what happened for my friend. After that encounter with God's loving kindness, my friend felt this dissatisfaction with the life that he was living. And he, be, he began to seek after God and, and pursue him. It was, it was his encounter with the width of God's love that totally changed the trajectory of his life. But God's love is not only wide. Paul says it's also long 
In other words, it is everlasting. In Psalm um, 136, the psalmist says over and over, he, he says line, and then he repeats this refrain over and over again. Here's the refrain. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Author Chris Vallotton describes it this way. He, he writes this in his book. He says, the love of Jesus has length. It goes the distance. You can't fall so far that it can't catch you. Run so fast that it can't get you or hide so well that it can't find you. His love is better than your worst day, stronger than the most defiant will and more forgiving than your cruelest sin. When you give up, love goes on. When you fall down, it picks you up. Love is courage to the fearful, hope for the helpless, and strength to the weary. Love goes the distance. God's love endures forever and ever. Paul also prays for us to comprehend how high the love of Christ is. This word speaks of the highest heavens, the, 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 the highest places of authority. His love is above you to encourage you and inspire you, to fill you with a hope for a better future. No matter how difficult and challenging things are, God's love can lift your head. His love can lift your head. God loves surround you and can stir hope in you. <clears throat> and then, of course, Paul prays that we would grasp how deep the love of Christ is the imagery of depth in scripture often refers to places of darkness and aloneness. The psalmist often spoke of experiencing deep places, the sense of being overwhelmed with heavy and hard circumstances. Some of you are in very deep and dark places right now. The depth of a depression that hangs on, the, the, the depth of grief over the loss of a spouse or a child or a marriage or a business. What Paul is praying, what he's saying is that God's love is deeper than our deepest despair. He writes in, in Romans 8, you can look at this later, fascinating passage, he, say, he writes there, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not death, not life, angels, demons, hardships, failures, doesn't matter. God's love is wider and longer and higher and deeper than we will ever need or we can ever imagine. And Paul is praying that we can begin to comprehend these things, <clears throat> which leads to the second specific thing Paul prays for. God longs for us to personally experience his love. <clears throat> Not just comprehend it, to personally experience it. Paul prays, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That word that he uses for know, it's a word that speaks of relational, experiential, intimate knowledge. He's not simply talking about head knowledge. You know, gathering lots of information or Bible verses about God's love or whatever. I mean, that's important, but he's not just talking about having information in our head about God's love. No, Paul is praying for us to experience this in real ways. To experience this love in real ways. <clears throat> so the other day, I was listening to a, 
a sermon by T.D. Jakes, um, who is an amazing communicator. Um, but he was talking about this passage, and he said, <clears throat> I can't do his voice, so I don't even, I'm not going to try. Uh, but he said, um, in order to measure the height and the depth and the length of anything, you have to have gone to the limits. In other words, if we were to measure how wide this room is, right, I'd, I'd say, hey, come up here, and we would meet at the center, and you would take a measuring tape, right, and you would have to walk all the way. You start walking, and the farther you go to the edge, the more you can measure how far it goes. I'm guessing all of us have done things or said things or experienced things where we've had to measure how far God's love really went. Where in our failure, our greed, our lust, our self-centeredness, we did something where we wondered, how did I get here? And could God possibly love me here? And the answer, I hope you've discovered is a resounding yes. God is not mad at you. He has not turned away from you. He is for you. He is with you. The cross covers the depth of our sin. No matter how far on the edges we feel we are, the cross covers all of that. God loves you with a love that is wider and longer and higher and deeper than you could ever imagine. This is the journey we're on, right? A journey of discovering and experiencing the ocean of God's amazing love for us. And sometimes we have to walk to the far, what feels like the far edges to discover that he loves us there as well. Which leads us to the third thing Paul prays for in this passage. God longs for us to be filled, be filled with the fullness of his love. Verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled. I mean, that word, Paul loves that word. I love that word. It, it, it speaks of being saturated with something like a sponge that is saturated with water. So, ev so the water fills every open pore in that sponge. Every pore gets filled with liquid. That, that's the experience that Paul longs for us to have with God's love, where every fiber of our being, every experience, every thought, every minute of every day is saturated with, is filled with the love of God in Christ. And in doing so, we experience the fullness of God. In this kind of filling of his love, we experience the fullness of God himself. Paul is praying for us to experience this life in which God's love permeates everything we do and everything we are. There's something about Paul's description that almost feels a bit unsettling, doesn't it? I mean, this kind of love... This kind of love has the power to change everything. How we view ourselves, how we view our circumstances, and how we view other people. Think about that. 
This kind of love, if it's real, what we're talking about here, it has the power to change how we view other people. I mean, think about this. If Jesus calls us to love our enemies, does he love them any less? I mean, his love for us doesn't let us off the hook when it comes to loving other people that we don't like. In fact, it does the opposite. We share the same ocean of God's love with people who look differently and think differently and vote differently and live differently. How can we excuse loving them any less than he does when we share the same ocean with them? How can we excuse that? Loving them any less than he does when we're swimming in the same ocean. Honestly, I think this is probably why we sometimes choose the swimming pool. Uh, sometimes choose the safety and boundary waters of the swimming pool. Water's clean, sterile, safe. We know who's swimming in it. The ocean seems huge and unknown, and, and unpredictable. But God invites us into the ocean of his love. He invites us into the ocean of his love, where, where his waves of love wash over our shame, and our fear, and our despair, and our prejudices, where we're sometimes surprised by how much he loves us. <laughs> a few years ago, I was in a, I was in a, just a burned out season of life and ministry, just weariness, disappointment, um, unmet expectations had really drained me dry. So I took this three day um, spiritual retreat up in the mountains outside, just around Divide, Colorado. And I met for a few hours every morning with this spiritual director person. And then I'd, we'd meet for a couple hours and then I'd have the afternoons free. Um, so during the mornings, we had been talking about my life story. I'd been telling him my life story. And my counselor throughout it, he just kind of made this general comment that my entire life had been this intense quest for love and affirmation through success, working hard, having my act together, looking, all that stuff. That my whole life had been this intense quest for affirmation and love. <clears throat> and, and in our conversation, of course, multiple times, he just reminded me of, of how much God loves me. But, but of course, I, I, I heard that all through the old filters of performance. So that afternoon... One, one particular afternoon, I, I went to the spot on the property. It's a very large property. I went to this spot where they had this hammock, and I did something that I never do, which is take a nap. Uh, and, uh, and when I woke up, I'm on this hammock, I woke up, and I was just laying there, and I began to notice this, this particular cloud, like right in the center of my view. I have always been fascinated with thunderheads and thunderstorms and watching clouds and all that. Always been fascinated with that. So, so here, literally, I had a front row seat into this amazing, swirling kind of cloud that was developing into a thunderstorm right in front of my eyes in a very dramatic way. And again, I was alone on this whole property. They had all left. The staff had left. I was the only one there. Mountains all around me, and this rapidly developing cloud that felt so close. So I just sat there, I just laid there, and I watched it for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just watched this thing. 
And I suddenly had this thought, God, did you do that for me? <laughs> did, did you do that to remind me that you see my heart and my delight in you? And that you see my heart and you delight in me? Did you do that for me? The old me would have quickly dismissed this thought, and part of me was a stupid, come on, God would never do something like that. He's got way more important things to do. But there was another voice inside of me saying, yeah, that was me. What'd you think? Why wouldn't God do something like that for one of his kids who needed to be reminded that God really does see me and love me? Again, his love is not predictable or sterile or boundaried. It is vast. It is glorious. It is beyond what we could ever imagine. And it is for us and for the people around us. Imagine how our lives would be impacted if that was the lens through which we saw God and that was the lens through which we saw ourselves, and that was the lens through which we saw others. I mean, no wonder Paul is praying this for us. May God answer his prayer. May God answer his prayer. May you comprehend how vast God's love for you is. And, and may you experience it personally. And may it fill every part of your being because it's real. The cross of Christ proves that it's real. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray together. So God, thank you for your word. We don't want it just to fill our heads. We want to experience these truths. So I want to just, what I want to, I want to just create a couple of responses here. No pressure at all, but God may be stirring something in your heart. First response is just a simple response for those of you here who maybe you've never placed your trust in Christ. You think religion is, you know, going to church just about being a good person, try to be acceptable to God, try to earn your way. It's not it at all. It's about admitting you're not and receiving Christ's love for you. And when you do that, God uproots you from this other stuff you're in, and he plants you in the love of Christ, which is beyond your wildest imagination. He loves you either way, but you're the one missing out. When, you're not, when you don't open your heart to his love. So if that's you, pray along with me a simple prayer. Dear God, I place my trust in Jesus who died on the cross for me. I open my heart to receive your love and your forgiveness and your life that transforms me from the inside out. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this amazing relationship with you. 
So the second response here, and those of you with the first, you can do the second as well. But what I want to do, I, wanna, I talked about this last week, I want us to engage our imagination for a moment. I believe our imaginations are a God-given gift. They're not something we need to be afraid of. And there is power in us actually imagining things that the Bible says are true. We're engaging a different part of our being. So that's why I'm unapologetic about using our imagination here so again, no pressure, but here's what I'd like you to do if you're, if you're interested. We're going to just use our imagination to grow in our experience of, of God's love. So I want you to just to close your eyes. And I want you to think of an area in your life. Think of a, an area of failure, an area of struggle, or some place where you don't feel loved. by you're not, you're, You don't feel God's love. You don't feel loved by God. Okay, now what I want you to do is you're kind of thinking about that place in your life. I want you to imagine God's love surrounding you. You, may, you could see it as a mist. You could see it as an ocean. You could see it as a warm, glowing bubble. You could see it as a light, warm light surrounding you, whatever you're imagining. But I want you to imagine God's love surrounding you because the Bible says that's exactly what it does. So just take a moment. Imagine it all around you. And I invite you just to we're just take a moment here. Just be in that place. You don't have to do anything. Just be in that place. Now, while you're there, again, you can, we're going to speed this up for just sake of time, but you can do this on your own anytime, and I encourage you to. But while we're there, I want to just encourage you. We talked about how God's love, it's transformative. And so if you're comfortable, maybe you're not even uncomfortable, but just ask Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me in this place? Knowing his heart is love, is there anything you want to say to me in this place? So just, Holy Spirit, speak, and let's just listen. What is he saying to you? So, Lord, whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, we just, we thank you for it. We thank you that you are love. You are love. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating that love on the cross. And God, we thank you. It's hard for us to even comprehend, but we thank you that your justice, your holiness, all those things fit in the essence 
of who you are as a God of love. And I want to pray that we would grow, each one of us would grow in our experience of how wide and long and high and deep your love is. And to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for that more, Lord, just more. This is just the beginning. We're just wading in. I pray in the days, weeks to come, we would experience more of your love in every part of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.